Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper, welcoming uh, to the to the show Alex Farine, um, who, if listeners don't know, uh, is the, the the famous author of the Alex Farine newsletter on Substack. Before that, a staff writer at The New Republic. Before that, a staff writer at Splinter. Before that, a uh, editor and a staff writer at Gawker. And previously, a staff writer at Salon and a staff writer at Wonkette, if I'm not mistaken. I you are correct. Did I miss any of them in there? Well, uh, after Gawker, there was I was a dead spin for a little while in between. I was a dead spin for a little while, but no, you you nailed all the major ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of part of the Gawker empire in any case. But um, don't don't forget Survivor of the Blogosphere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you bet. You know, you bet not <laughs> not not to be cruel, of course. But you've been to you you've got a lot of experience in the online media more than just about anybody. Um, and I, I wanted to have you on, you know, to we could start off uh, the discussion talking about popularism, the the media phenomenon, and you know something I've been trying to figure out here that I that I hope you could help me out with is why it's so annoying um, <laughs> for me personally, uh, you know, and and like. I've been pondering this, you know, and and preparing for the, for the, for the podcast. And, you know, I have a number of answers, but, but, you know, if I, maybe just to run this by you to start with, uh, it's partly like, you know, popularism. Okay. Do like say and do, or mainly just say actually is what they're talking about. Popular things. That's like something that people have been doing since like the Pleistocene in politics, you know, it's, (laughs) this is not a like, like exceptionally innovative advice. Um, but one of the things that annoys me about it is, um, the way that it's aimed at. And so for example, we have, uh, we have, we have, you know, our sort of popularism guru, David Shore, who is most distinguished in my view, like the way that I experienced him personally in getting into my Twitter mentions to argue with leftist activists and like, you know, Black Lives Matter yeah. people and so on about how they're doing everything wrong and they're sort of sandbagging the chances of the party, like being able to preserve democracy, et cetera, et cetera. And then the same time we have Kristen Cinema, who was personally recruited by Chuck Schumer back in 2017 mm-hmm. to run for the Senate who's blocking like the most popular policy ever proposed by any political party in the history of like human civilization, namely the uh, allowing Medicare to negotiate drug prices with the hated pharmaceutical companies that (laughs) polls at like nine to one, literally the Kaiser health news has a poll on this. And so that first thing, and maybe just speak, if you could speak to that, like why, why is this aimed at, you know, kind of semi-powerless activists and not at like a small and one would one would presume easily influential, uh, influenceable number of elites that could, you know, make much more positive strides on the supposed agenda. Well, look, <clears throat> the the reason it's annoying is because its proponents are annoying people. <laughs> um, yeah, regardless, regardless of the merits of the argument, um, Eric Levitz, you 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 sent his piece to me, and I usually read him anyway, but I hadn't read it till he sent it to me. But he he says in passing in his piece that he published today, which is Thursday evening, um, that he published today about. Shore responding to a critic of Shore. He says in passing something that I have said on Twitter to Shore, uh, but that um, he's in your mentions and not just writing an essay that says what he thinks people should do. Um, I find him to be very smart and very slippery. Yeah. I think he's a slippery person. I think he refuses to get pinned down. And what he's actually arguing, who should do what? And he is also allowing his, I think, fairly banal point about say popular things and avoid wedge issues. That's banal, and Democrats already do that. And what he also does is he allows um, people with 
I think, uh, very bad intentions to hijack his argument. And I say allows because he published on Matt Iglesias' blog. And I think Matt Iglesias' position is to adopt shorism as a means of just telling everyone to his left to shut up. Right. Like, yeah. I think I think that's literally what Matt wants from it. And, you know, so with I think with Shore's tacit permission, he is taking a series of, um, I think, fairly small scale and not particularly interesting polling based insights about messaging and and without ever coming out and saying exactly what he thinks people should be doing, he's using his sort of wonk celebrity to allow very annoying people online to tell everyone else to shut up. And, you know, like you say, the uh, the uh, the irony here is that the online left has had a version of popularism for years, literally for years. Uh, and and their, their version of it has been to say the things moderates want to do in office with power are not popular. And instead, here's a whole bunch of leftist priorities, primarily kitchen table economic ones that are popular and Democrats should do them instead. And exactly as you say, we're now in a position where Democrats are in power and the incredibly popular kitchen table issues are being taken off the table uh, because uh, of moderates who are selected because only someone like them can win in their purple state. So, right, the wrong people are getting yelled at, and they're getting yelled at by annoying people. That's, that's why this debate is annoying. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 slipperiness, the slipperiness is a good point. And I, I actually I had another thing about that. And the, the, what made Shore's celebrity was him getting canceled on Twitter for, like, like uh, getting in a fight online with people who like were kind of quasi defending uh the 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 riots or unrest whatever you want to call them in in uh, minneapolis um yeah and he was pointing out he, he cited this study saying that like violent disturbances you know that included property damage or whatever in 1968 reduced the democratic vote share in the ensuing election in 1968, in the counties that were affected. But if you go and you read that paper, the proposed mechanism is riots, bad media coverage, decreased Democratic vote share. And that that su- suggests that like the, the key linkage in that transmission yeah. process is the media. Right. Which is what he's participating in, making bad coverage of protesters, right? <laughs> like. Yeah, he's 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 supplying that second variable, right? And also, this, the I mean, again, with the the, the like influenceable, like like th- these are people that he could, um, you know, potentially like sort of scold or at least participate in a narrative of saying stipulating that riots are bad, you know, like for the sake of argument that uh, the people to blame for them are the cops for choking people to death on, on camera. Yeah. And that, that if you don't want riots, what you need is to reform the police so that they don't kill people and not go like this nonsensical proposal to like, uh, go around to the activist class in, you know, these deprived communities and wave around a study from 1968 and say, Look, your your antics are going to harm the political prospects of a party that doesn't give a fuck whether you live or die. You know, so yeah, like you know, Ryan, nothing nothing plays better in uh, in black communities than than using big data after uh, MLK's assassination. Like that is a right. perfect combination, really. I would like to right, like the the ni- the nineteen sixty eight David Shore going on TV to be like you don't like. You don't understand. I've I've done the polls. If you if you burn if you burn your cities, uh, I'm afraid Hubert Humphrey, your hero, will have a worse chance of of winning the next election. Um, <laughs> Everyone, calm down. This was poorly calculated. Uh, go back to your homes. I mean, so that's what my former colleague Tom Skoka just wrote. Exactly a piece that I think importantly goes back to that cancellation and right. And I think like. Well, you know, we can all not that any of us actually not that any of us know the actual circumstances under which he lost his job, but we can all agree he shouldn't have lost his job for making that take on Twitter. Sure, That's the sure. reason he lost it. Um, but like 
the argument is is that argument exposes how shallow his entire analysis is though i mean what is the who is supposed to like who is the decision maker who has the ability to stop a riot from happening who is who is in a position to say don't riot because it will hurt a political party's chances in the election in the context of like the assassination of Martin Luther King like who is the decision maker who can like who's the person who that who your advice is for yeah right and and what you said about the media is is really important too because I, this is the other part i always try to emphasize and i think i've spent the last year writing everything i've written over the last year has had some version of this of this argument in it because i this has been how long we've been talking about it <clears throat> if we're talking about democratic messaging how are you getting the message to people right like people's yeah. experience of politics is is comes through a media that democrats are not in charge of and that you know obviously we are members of the media, but we are not the media that persuadable working class white voters in the heartland are listening to. Um, <clears throat> there's no answer from Shore or any of his acolytes or the people who use his arguments to make their own arguments. There's no answer for them for like, so the defund the police issue, despite the fact that no actual Democratic politicians got on board with that ever. But you're saying so now your argument is that activists shouldn't have said that. But like we are in a media environment where it just truly does not matter what Democrats actually say, actually believe, actually do, because people's mediated experience of what they believe and say and do is just batshit insane because of just relentless like propaganda everywhere. Even if you don't – even if nobody says defund the police, even if that was a complete – uh, uh, and total like fabrication, it would have stuck to Joe Biden. Somebody would have said that, and somebody would have claimed that Joe Biden said that, and it would have become like dogmatic or you know some other similarly inflammatory. It would have been something else. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I remember the the the. I remember I watched so little like live broadcast TV now, but if, if you turned on TV in 2018, you just saw the craziest ads about. Uh, you know, Democrats wanting uh, drug cartels and Central American gangs to like, <laughs> like wanting them to come in. And it, it didn't have it had no it had literally no relation to any policy argument or claim Democrats were making. It was just a thing that people wanted. It was just a thing conservatives wanted people to get mad and scared about. Like in that in this propaganda environment, uh, Democratic messaging seems like the the least of their problems. Yeah. 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 The, the people freaking out about MS 13, if you switch from defunds to, uh, to reform the police, then they're on board all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're going to be like, you know, they're more reasonable than I thought. Right. <laughs> but, and, but part of this, so, so we, we, I mean, first of all, I'm curious, uh, Alex, I, I didn't really know much about David Shore and, and maybe you could talk about why he was somebody that anyone listens to. Uh, and, and so, so much so that he could even get canceled in the first place. He strikes me as like a Nate Silver type of person. So it's like maybe we could talk about like the trend in politics to listen to people who think they have objective or empirical or you know, data based analysis or something. Yeah. I mean, he's not a, he's not a silver type because silver is a media guy and and sure, um, which does not come up often enough when he is written about Shore has clients. Shore is a oh, okay. campaign consultant. Gotcha. Shore is a campaign consultant with clients that I I don't know who those clients are. Maybe maybe he discloses them somewhere. Suddenly I understand why he's slippery. I was wondering about why he might be slippery. <clears throat> so, um but yeah, but but he what he as a data guy and a polls guy. He and as a guy willing to talk, uh, as a guy willing to be a source, I think um, he has the sort of that he hits that 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 trifecta of being willing to be a source, so people will write about you, and um, and wanting to be hired by campaigns, so saying things people in power like to hear, 
And um, and then because he's a data guy, having the ability to sound smarter than a than the reporter who's talking to him, uh, and and having a secret sauce. Um, that's that's the real key, I think. Right? Like um, he's he's he can say. I've got the I've got the numbers and I know how to analyze them. Like I can do this math stuff that you can't. So that's the Nate Silver part of it. Um, it's, like a, it's but, a Silicon Valley pitch, you know. But remember the the Michael Lewis book, the new new thing. Is he's the new new yeah. thing? You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then yeah, but then just being like the being a guy with campaign experience who's the data guy, like you know, political reporters and pundits talk to him to figure out. Um, here's what the smart, uh, plugged in, uh, politicos think about the data. So, I mean, I, you know, there, I think his, that, that sort of explains why he's so prominent, but a big part of it is just that he's got a story he wants to tell that you can make really comfortable for people who already are in charge of everything, in the democratic party, where it's everything is someone else's fault. Yeah. Yeah. And one like that was actually the next thing I was going to bring up is the, the like the abuse of the rhetoric of expertise um, and the, the affect of expertise and being like the facility with numbers and, you know, like having a lot of studies at your fingertips and how that can be used to sort of rhetorically like bully people. Um, that's something that I see happening a lot in this space. And it's something I've seen happen before. You know, Ezra Klein used to be kind of sort of in this vein, you know, like we've got the charts. We're at Wonk Blog. Here's why the Chicago <laughs> teachers strike is, you know, like harming the children of the, you know, impoverished black people in Chicago uh, in, in, in 2012. Um, but I think it's worth maybe just for, for listeners kind of pulling out a little example of this, this kind of like policy squirreliness. So you mentioned that... Um, they, him and his, his buddy, Simon Bazelon, published an article on Matt Iglesias' Substack, very widely read, about why we need to cut down the child tax credit, this sort of quasi-child allowance thing um, that, uh, you know, was, was passed as part of the American Rescue Plan. You know, it's sort of, sort of making the child tax credit uh, refundable so that poor people, in theory, can get it. And then it sort of cuts off at over 150,000 in household income, which is fairly high. Like, so most people are included, they get these monthly payments. And so uh, these guys are saying, well, according to our data, we need to, we like, we, we may need to save some money in the reconciliation package. So let's, let's means test the shit out of the child tax credit. Let's cut the eligibility down from 150,000 to 50,000. And according to his secret sauce polling, you know, he won't give the actual raw data out, you know, for, for anyone as far as I can tell. That gets you four points of popularity <laughs> from 49% popularity to um, 53%. And, you know, my sort of initial reaction to that is if you believe that's a meaningful piece of information, you're fucking stupid. Um, but like the, the, Ryan, it's the famous four point swing from 49 to 53. Didn't you know that's that is the crucial four points right there. Yeah. But like it, uh, Matt Bruning had a response to this, which was to, uh, you know, the way that these things happen is they're an advanced tax credit. Right. So they're paying you money based on what you think your income is going to be at the end of the year. Well, that's going that estimate is going to be wrong in many cases. And if and if the cutoff is 150,000, most people it won't matter. You there won't be that many errors. But if you bring that all the way down to 50,000, that's below the median household income, which is like 67,000, I think. And so you're you're way into the meat of the population. Millions and millions and millions of people are going to be getting incorrect uh, uh, payments for their their child uh, allowance, their child tax credit. And that's going to show up as a huge ass uh, surprise tax bill at the uh, when they have to go and file their taxes, something they may not have planned for. And it's going to be much more directly a pain in the ass and maybe even unpayable, depending on the situation of the parties in question. 
um, as opposed to like sitting down and answering a question on an online form or some shit for like 30 seconds. And in fact, Brunig says this exact thing has been tried in other countries and it was a political disaster, incredibly unpopular because of its specifically incredibly obnoxious and painful effects on a very well-enfranchised constituency. And so my question is, you know, the, the, like, we, we, like, what are we doing here? You know, like wh- who could possibly <laughs> believe this bullshit is the, like, this is a meaningful opinion. It's like, okay, if we have to like gore out some, uh, some chunks of the, uh, 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 policy to appease Joe Manchin, like that may be what it is and there's no way around it. But to say that like, this is actually a politically savvy thing to do. It seems to cast doubt on both like the kind of general orientation of the popularizers and also their willingness to indulge a kind of glib, uh, uh, you know, faux like expertise in the defense of basically neoliberal austerity. Well, right. And I mean, you know, why is that? Why is that his his policy? Like, why is that subject his policy intervention? Of all the things that we could be talking about right now, and, and and if your if your project, if your political project is, <clears throat> Democrats need to uh, embrace popular things and avoid talking about unpopular things, um, then the the thing you decide to intervene on, the thing you decide to write a piece on, um, is uh, let's make the child tax credit just a little bit meaner. Um, because of that, you know, I'm sure the polls are, I'm sure the polls are correct. And, and, um, but like there are more popular things Democrats aren't doing that you could write about, <laughs> you, yeah. that you could advocate for. Well, that, I would this save is money. The perniciousness. Yeah. Well, this is the perniciousness of, uh, even going back to Ezra Klein, of hiding behind, quote-unquote, neutral or objective analysis, which is total bullshit, because what it pretends is that there's nothing political about what questions you ask, what you focus on, uh, which is- issues you choose, when all of those things are incredibly politically salient. And and, and it's, it's the pretense that they're not that is so pernicious and dangerous, and I think is useful to elites to, to, to do what they're doing to the activists and to, to to leftists generally, right? And and you know the part of this is as as I think you as I think you just argued pretty well. Um, it is certainly the case, and I think that there's a there's a market for telling left wing people. There's a market for telling left wing people like you stupid fools, the, the, like the things you like are not popular, right? And and so we can certainly grant that. Um, if you ask a bunch of people in the abstract, harsh means testing will be popular. And I think the left has a lot of good ex- explanations for why that is. And I think, like, sure, we should acknowledge harsh means testing can be popular. Um, but as you say, if the end result of that, of your implementing it, is to to make the actual program worse – do you think you will be electorally rewarded for this? Because <clears throat> that seems to be the implicit argument, right? Like, make this policy a little bit worse or a lot worse because doing so in the abstract polls well and you will be electorally rewarded for doing so. That seems implausible to me. I'm not a data guy, but it just does not seem plausible to me that Democrats will win more marginal seats through means testing a program to the point where it's not very good and might make a lot of middle-class parents mad. Yeah. The, the, I feel like if, if, if I were sort of earnestly, you know, if, if I were a college socialist as Shore claims to be, and I were taking this thing into account, you know, like, as you say, it's not implausible to me to think that people would be in general in favor of mean testing, like the history of austerity, you know, kind of classical liberalism in this country, the dogma runs very deeply, but it seems Mm -hmm. to me like, you know, you, you ought to be looking at opportunities if you are a leftist to try to erode that mindset. And one thing, you know, it's like means testing, more means testing equals more popular. That's his sort of formula. He said this multiple times, and it's actually the implied premise of this piece, 
that if you and if you take the child tax credit down to twenty five thousand, you cut out almost everybody, then that it becomes even more popular. Um, yeah, yeah. But like the uh, the the uh, pandemic survival checks, twelve hundred bucks to almost everyone. Well, they were you know sort of lightly means tested. It was like first one was over like a hundred thousand or something, you know, like 80 some odd percent of 83 odd percent of people got something. And like 75% of people got full whack. Uh, those were incredibly popular. And, you know, it, it's, it strikes me that like, there's an ideological, uh, uh, opening right there to try yeah. to turn people to try to say like, you know, you have been led to believe that welfare is bad, that getting money from the government is sucks. And like, it's all going to like, it's all going to black people. Like, let's be really, you know, like the, the, the Obama phones and all that kind of bullshit, you know, that there's a secret welfare system that only black people are getting coming from slavery and Jim Crow and, and the civil rights backlash and all that shit. But like when people are getting very blatantly and obviously a great big check f- says Donald Trump on it, it's like, oh, bank account balance go up. The the piggies <laughs> love it. They love it. You know, it's like this is really. And, and so I, you know, that would strikes me as a much more valuable use of time to be like, here's a sort of window into into sort of trying to change people's attitudes, you know. Well, right. And but that's exactly what that's exactly what the the popularists refuse to um get into is the the fact that people's opinions about these things are not natural but are determined in large part by what the politicians they like tell them yeah and so if trump if trump is sending you checks and you like trump you're like of course i deserve this check (laughs) if if trump is sending you checks and you weren't the biggest Trump fan, but you weren't a Trump hater. You're like, seems fine, right? But like, if liberals and Democrats would actually sort of, I mean, you can see this in in so many issues where um, that have been polarized. In fact, issues that have been polarized over the last ten, twenty years, you can see what happens is that the the position of 51% of the population follows what uh, basically politicians told them is the correct thing to think about it. Um, And uh, not to say that everyone is sheep, but that like most people like just sort of follow, they like say, this person seems to share my values. So if this person who shares my values says um, actually immigrants are good, then I might be more inclined to support immigration. And like that's that's the issue where and that's sure is like one of his main issues that Democrats need to be hawkish and anti-immigrant. But like the actual opinion polling on immigration over the last 20 years has made a shocking, shocking turn towards people being more accepting of immigration in general. Yeah, that's that's the irony of all this, because like as much as I hate his like elite centered approach where like we just tell the elite leaders in politics to say the right things. Uh, the irony is he's doubling down on the fact that elite austerity messaging over the years has, has shaped public opinion. Right. It's convinced people oh, that that's probably right. I, you know, it's too good to be true to have Medicare for all. It's too good to be true. There must be means testing for things. Of course, you know, otherwise it would be too good. So, I mean, the, the thing that actually strikes me is the opposite of that. Whatever you think about MMT and the debates about MMT, that's fucking messaging in the other direction. It's like, actually, let's tell every people that you can have everything, right? Actually, yeah, right? You know, like, like, and just repeat that shit over and over and over again, right? And uh, that's the kind of thing, if you care about messaging, that you would want to support, I so would look, think. So, right? this is what, so you saw that you saw the poll, the, the defund the police poll that all these, you know, Closet right wing reporters were were gleefully retweeting. Trans, that was like, transparent oh. eyeball reporters. These people have no ideology. They're they're perfectly neutral <laughs> in all things. I'm sorry. That, and, and so the poll was like, oh, it was like defund the police remains incredibly unpopular because it had I don't remember. I think it was like twenty two percent support. And then this other option that was, um, let's redirect some police funds toward other public safety and public health things had like 56% support. That's a victory for the slogan defund the police. Yeah. 
the, the that because prior to that becoming a slogan at all, that the option you just polled they got fifty six percent support was not on the table anywhere, yeah. not in any city was that a thing any politician was proposing to do. And once defund the police becomes a real slogan that people really support, this option that is, um, let's not defund them, let's just take away some of their funds and spend them on other things, is suddenly people, the, the, the ability to imagine that world was not possible until people heard it expressed. And once they heard it expressed, well, you know, maybe they didn't they didn't like the demonized version of it. They didn't like the demonized version of it. But what they heard was like, oh, spend some of these billions on other things. Yeah, that could be nice. And literally, like that was not that was just not on the it's, it's still not on the realistically, it's still not on the table in most cities. But now it's a thing people can actually express that they want. And Democrats actually have to like pay attention to it. So to say this poll proves defund the police was a failure, like no, the preceding thirty years of of not taking that idea seriously was a failure. But like now, actually, like it's on the table now that we can spend this money on other things. Well, speaking no, no, no. of, I mean, speaking of popularism and and the and the police, the uh, we're here in Philadelphia. Right. Where we just yeah. <laughs> overwhelmingly reelected in the primary, uh, Larry Krasner, the yeah. reformist uh, district attorney who, you know, was sub like faced a like uh, a cop union Challenge. uh, challenger and he just wiped the floor with them. This guy, you know, he's he's done a, a lot like district attorneys don't they have they don't have that uh, much leeway, I don't think. But he's cut the number of like. A, like person years in jail by 20,000 or something like that. Like a, in yeah. clearly identified as a sort of defund the police associated type guy, former public defender and so on, just absolutely cleaned up and absolutely cleaned up in the poorest and the blackest um, yep. parts of Philadelphia. Yep. And yep. yeah, the, this, you know, like, like coming on the heels of the biggest mass protest uh, in terms, in numerical terms, at least, uh, 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 like marches, public demonstrations in American history over the issue of police brutality, and like I think it strikes, like the the extent to which like popularism is trying to defeat an incipient kind of lefty uprising versus, uh, uh, you know, sort of stay ahead of the curve, I think is pretty well illustrated by the focus on that slogan. And like the, you know, it, no matter what you think about polling, if you have the biggest protest movement in the history of the country out, like clearly there's maybe something not captured by polling in that, you know, like, like, you know. Well, yeah, so this is right. And this is this is a tangent because I want to address what about Philly, Philly and, and, and city politics. Yeah. But great. We know, like, we know polling is, is worse now than it's been in decades. Yeah. We know polling is less trustworthy now than it's been in decades. Pollsters know this. It's a crisis in their field. <laughs> um, like, if you actually read, like, their own, uh, like, the polling industry's own sort of internal discussions, like, they know their industry is in a complete crisis. And the idea of, of using issue polls to determine everything about what you should do is absurd on that alone. Um, but, but in terms of city politics and, and, and Krasner, like, so this is what, another thing that bugs me about popular, I'm just going to get it all off my chest. <laughs> do it. Um, That's the point. Yeah. But, but like, right. So you're in Philly. I'm from Minneapolis. I grew up in Minneapolis in the city, <clears throat> went to South high. Um, and, Minneapolis, right? Like, I don't think Philly, I don't think Philly deserves the Philadelphia Police Department. Minneapolis does not deserve the Minneapolis Police Department. Hell no. And the idea that the residents of those cities should not be allowed to, to should not be allowed to dismantle these institutions because it would be bad for Kamala Harris's 
presidential election in 2024 is offensive to me. But that's what you get to eventually when you say all you defund the police activists got to shut the hell up because it's hurting Democrats in elections. Well, like, obviously, I do believe mainly from a harm reduction point that, like, it's better when Democrats win national elections. But it's also better when residents of places like Philly or Baltimore or Minneapolis or Portland actually get to have Democratic control over their own cities and actually get to restrain the police departments that have been terrorizing those cities for years. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, both uh, uh, Pennsylvania and Minnesota— I mean, less Minnesota, I, I suppose, but but like both those places are fairly swingy. Um, yeah. And, you know, where where is probably the greatest untapped vein of potential Democratic voters? Well, I would imagine it's probably poor black people in in Philly, you know, yeah. the lowest propensity voters probably in the in the in the country. In a state with razor thin margins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Real close. And the and like. You know, the, the, you know, I live in a fairly like I was looking up this the census data actually the other day. It's it's not that poor. It's 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 kind of gentrifying. You know, like a lot of Philly is, but it's major overwhelming majority uh, black population. And um, as I was saying, people love Krasner, but like the the police, you know, they they're definitely not like def, the defund the police activists. But people don't they. They dislike the police a lot. They dislike the police because a, you're you know the all these stories of people being beat up uh, and and killed. I mean there was a there was a guy who was shot to death like two blocks from me, a mentally ill fellow you know who sort of had a knife. And and, and also the, the like, Philadelphia police are just assholes. Yeah, like you, I mean, yeah. they're just yeah. assholes. They're dicks, <laughs> and you you should fear them. I mean even even folks yes. like us, you know you I I don't. I, they they make me nervous walking by him and on the sidewalk. And Brian and, and Ryan is ripped, man. He's been going to the gym a lot, so that says a lot. But, but no, Ryan, did you see Ryan in Philly? So Mayor Kenny, who is no leftist, in fact, I had a kind of a screaming match with him in front of my students when he was attacking the defund and uh, abolitionist uh, people. And you know, he can say what he wants, but in front of my students, I wasn't going to let that fly. And you know, he basically made made the argument that um, you know. People in the community don't want that, especially black people. And I said, well, have you told them that the option uh, is to use that money to support all these other programs? And he says, well, we don't have enough money for that, even if we defund. I said, well, does the state and the federal government have money? Could you talk to them? He's like, well, I try. I don't know. And then he just started to freak out. But um, even he signed a law recently that the city council passed. Uh, to basically ban pretextual stops yeah. uh, for for pulling yeah. people over, which is going to like reduce like three hundred thousand interactions or something a year that could lead to shootings and harassment, uh, and that's a major thing for a centrist like Kenny to, to sign, right? Uh, and this is this is a really basic. This is not. I, I don't think this is going to be like a. Uh, this is not going to blow any mind of your listeners. It's a pretty basic abolitionist point, but um, the the. The people who make the argument that, like, actually what people who live in poor black neighborhoods want, they actually want more police. They want more police. The thing they want is safety. Like, that's the thing everyone wants. They want public safety. If you can deliver public safety, because the police are doing a pretty shitty job of it. Yeah. The police are doing a really shitty job of it. If you can deliver them public safety, (laughs) that will satisfy the need that they are telling you they want delivered through the police because you've given them no other options. You have not said... You have not said, like, here is how we can provide security and safety. You like the their only option is to say, well, I guess we need cops everywhere because otherwise there's like no one will take care of any of the problems. Yeah, that 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 was the the final part of the, you know, the the attitude, you know, just from sort of talking to folks around the neighborhood is that, you know, there there was a shooting on my block. uh, Gosh, probably close to two years ago. You know, some guy was the the random people shot like 40 times into his car. I don't think he was killed, but 
nobody was ever caught for that. You know, so the yeah. the, the ostensible job of <laughs> the police you, to catch the, you know what they did do, Ryan? They did shut down a block party right next to you uh, the other day. <laughs> that that was that was really important. The police stopped people from having a block party. Um, you know, to to get together and socialize, and that was some good police action. The one thing, you know, that the the like the supposedly you know the thin blue line argument that like we're saving you from the murderers. The Philly uh, police clearance rate is like forty percent. You know, there yeah. you've got a better than even chance. And realistically, you know, like like a third of murders are are self solving. They say in the police business, you you like the police pull up, somebody's got a gun. Oh God, I can't believe I shot my wife or whatever. Like it, like really obvious uh, things that are just like open and shut. Like if you take any care at all, you're going to get away with the murder and the cops don't care. And it's like, the you know, you, there's a potential for activism there possibly. But like, you know, the, 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 the fundamental purpose, the fundamental justification of the police for their bloated salaries and their like ironclad contracts and so on. They're just not fulfilling their share, their side of the bargain at all. They just need they just need we just need to hire thousands more of them and and, and raise our budgets even more. Um, if we if we just get more of them, because this is, you know, the thing is, right, like we need to. Yeah, it's like the horseshoe. I, it's like somehow like a horseshoe theory, like like if you increase the number of police, the brutality rises and rises and rises until suddenly you have perfect safety somehow on the <laughs> other end of it. Like it just comes around. It comes around and then it's just this beautiful pacifist utopia. Suddenly we're uh, in Singapore. Everyone's in prison. <laughs> so uh, should we should we wrap up? Why then? I just the last question I have for the David Shore popularism stuff is besides appealing to elites in the donor class who are happy uh, about a lot of this um, leftist dunking, what's the appeal or what's the hunger? Why is this, besides being a good self-promoter, why is his uh, whole vibe something that is really being so prominently discussed and, and uh, it must appeal to some people besides the, the actual clients, right? I don't know. What's, what's, what's the thing that we should address in a different way? Do you think? Uh, The appeal is that, um, he is correct about education polarization being real and and dooming the Democrats electorally. Yeah, and people want there to be a way out of that. <laughs> that yeah. involves Can you spell that out. Education meaning yeah. The, yeah. The, so the, um, it's yeah. This, it's happening to to uh, center left parties. Although actually, Europe's Europe's kind of been going the other way here recently. But it's it's happened to center left parties throughout Europe, and it's happened in North America as well. Um, that uh, the people with college degrees are going to the center-left parties, everyone without college degrees, which used to include a lot of working-class people and still includes a lot of working-class people in the U.S., but now also includes a lot of older, more comfortable people, um, are going to the right-wing parties and often going to the far right as well. Um, and, the you know, there's it's, – it's an overdetermined, complicated reason for all of that, but, it, but because of just – the size of, you know, each population group in the U.S. That the way we distribute power, the way we decide who runs the government, um, that damns the Democrats in the medium term in terms of holding on to the power they have now. Um, and so, I think if you recognize that trend, you sort of then think like, well, um, unless we have a complete uh, revolution in terms of how we distribute power in this country. I'm down the for Democrat- that. Let's do that. Can we yeah. Do that? Well, no, we're right. So this is. I mean, I, I I think Malcolm Harris actually said some joke about like, like if you took all of the things David Shore was worried about, and then your conclusion was like not have a revolution, like that's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but right. But if you if you recognize those trends, then you recognize that like Democrats might be really fucked. Like in a for a long time for with in ways that have really, really dark consequences for everyone. Um, and then so then if your next step is you think unless <laughs> I can get Ryan to shut the hell up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and, 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 you know, and, and watch this smooth transition, by the way. But what we don't need, Alex, we don't need. You know, you know the the Glenn Greenwald Red Brown Alliance to to take care of it for us, right? Because this is this is, I think, actually 
that gap you're talking about that that uh, is being filled by some grifters and some people who are making a lot of money off of going on Fox News and off of, uh, you know, trying to do the thing that uh, is one of the possible answers, which is just a- appeal to uh, to the right and to the racists, right? Yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, I think, I don't even remember, it was just some nobody, but there was a very funny tweet I saw going around today that was just like, I, I wish we had right-wing unions. Like, I wish we had a right-wing union movement. It's like, have, there are reasons why you don't, man. Like, yeah. there are there are reasons why that, that isn't We should true. get rid of the spatial metaphor. I think that's not helping. The <laughs> like problem, and, and, and right, like, I don't know, man. The, the, the limit to a lot of that, I guess, I don't even like any of the terms, but like the post-left or the, uh, right. any of the problem with that is that like, they're all just imagining that, if we get more racist, like guys in hard hats will like us. And like, that's not even, that's not even the, I mean, there are a lot of manufacturing jobs in the U S still, but that's, that's not the actual like future makeup of the working class in this country. Right. Um, and you know, uh, my uncle's a truck driver. I don't think that like any podcast will ever reach him. Uh, like, I just don't think it like he exists. I don't think he exists <laughs> that, in that universe. <laughs> that's the big thing. I, you know, our friend David Kive has written about this uh, before, which is like the, the main thing people don't think about in politics is slack. Like how many people are just not involved at yeah. all? Yeah, right? exactly. And that's exactly. a huge amount of people. Like, yeah. let, let's figure out what's, that's where the revolution comes in. I think. So, and that's why, that's why I think the, the, the left does not, I, I don't think like the traditional left does not have, the traditional left is not on the verge of winning, but it has at least, uh, I think, a, a more correct uh, idea that this can only be won if you organize and mobilize right. the masses and has a more correct understanding of who the masses are. Because it, it's not yep. – it's really not just a question of, um, like, we got to get – we got to get a bunch of – old factory guys in Ohio on our side by, that's by right. hating trans people. Like that's, that's, that's exactly not, right. that's not going to cut it. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you're talking about <clears throat> propaganda, you know, and like the Democrats lack of a sort of, you know, vast, well-organized media complex that just supports whatever they happen to be doing. You yourself now, you have a, you have a sub stack, you have a, uh, the, the Alex Breen newsletter, um, you know, I thought maybe like before, before we get in, before we like return to the problems of like the kind of newsletter format, um, given your vast experience in online media and your many jobs, um, like how has it been, you know, being sort of your own boss? Like, I mean, like we have a little Patreon here for this podcast. And one thing I've noticed is that every month you lose like 10% of your subscribers. And like, <laughs> like if, if you start feeling that, like that sort of chasing the dragon type of thing, like, like trying to like hustle, you know, like, Oh, the incentives I'm now in libertarian. That's why Ryan mind. is doing this podcast completely naked just for the extra <laughs> boost. In listeners. But like, how's it, how's it going? Uh, I mean, it's going fine, you know, and I mean, honestly, I, I like, I, I like making my own hours and being my own boss in a, in a sort of, um, sense of, in the sense of how it works with my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, sure. I take, I take my kid to school in the morning. Right. Nice. Um, but you know what, I don't know what I always wanted was to Work. What I have always enjoyed most in my career has been working in collaborative environments with a bunch of people I respect. Um, and you know, the nice thing about my newsletter is I have a really good editor um, that I can, you know, that who who edits my stuff, and and I have other colleagues who or other you know newsletter people who who I can talk to. Um, but I miss I miss like, and this is not this is the pandemic more than the newsletter, but I miss like being in a room bouncing ideas off off of colleagues. I do I miss that a lot and and I think like some of my best ideas and work came from that sort of environment. Um but you know you're you're completely right that like I know so I'm I'm the, the nice thing is I'm 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 sort of self-sabotaging because I know that if I want to write about 
people riding dirt bikes in Brooklyn. Um, that will get less attention than if I wanted to start a fight with someone prominent like yeah. Glenn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right. I could start a fight with Glenn um, and whatever. Like I have plenty of reason to if I wanted to like write about him in the future. But if like the thing I'm interested in that week is the dirt bike thing, I'm going to write about the dirt bike thing. And could I know you that start it's, a fight with Glenn about the dirt bikes. <laughs> if I could. Yeah. If I could get if I could get him, if I could win, you know, win, I'm, sure, I I'm sure I could find a way. Um, but, you know, I've seen it. In, and to be really like to be really frank, like Matt Iglesias is just doing more like dumb intentionally provocative takes on Twitter just for the attention for that reason. That's what the, that's what the economy of the newsletter business leads to. Um, and so, uh, you know, for me, this is still an experiment and I'm having fun and I think it's going okay. Um, but, uh, I don't know if I'm the kind of writer who is cut out to like want to, I I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I mean, I like, I like arguing online. Like, you know, I'm a normal American. I'm a red blooded American man. I like arguing online. Uh, but, uh, but I also, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily want that to be like, I don't want this to, to just be just like score settling weekly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's, there's a danger. And I think, you know, we've probably all sensed it a little bit and, and not, not just like, uh, getting onto the online like feuding treadmill, you know, sort of like approaching your political analysis, like you're a sort of SoundCloud rapper, you know, and yeah. like <laughs> starting shit yeah. with someone just to like stir, like get tabloid coverage and whatnot. But that I I'm kind of convinced that the incentive structure of this type of thing can kind of rewire people's entire politics and indeed personalities. Um, you know, people have, you know, like Greenwald is, uh, there are a lot of people who argue both ways of like, he's always been like this. And I think you can point to certain aspects of it, but like in so many, ex you know, formal explicit topics, he's totally changed his his view, um, his, yeah. his, 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 uh, position on Barry Weiss, for instance, has gone completely <laughs> 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And, you know, it's like, Jesus, to that what's, to happen. What's even weirder is, is that it's happening to people who are supposedly renowned for their integrity. And, and like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's even weirder than that. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah. you know, Mitt Romney is a flip flopper. John Kerry is a flip flopper, but like people who, who got the reputation from being, you know, I'm going to in the uh, speak truth to power and really risk, you know, everything. And, and suddenly they're just like, well, whatever makes me a little more money. I'm uh, ready to be a fascist, whatever. You know? I mean, look, it's, it's, um, it's negative polarization and everything, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we can we can talk about what voters we can talk about how negative polarization affects how what voters do or like literally all you're all you're doing is like trying to get like a, a fight the other side. Um, but then it's, it's just becomes a like choosing your politics based on which people you don't like. Totally. Um, and, uh, you know, there are. Um, it's aesthetic, you know. Yeah, it's and it's yeah, it, it's very aesthetic. It's definitely very aesthetic. And so my my last question for you to let you uh, let you off the hook here, um, you know that <laughs> you've 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 written before about how you know like you you would like to have like a local newspaper that you could subscribe to deliver daily. It's got the Albany Goss. It's got the the cartoons, the comic strips, and it's got kind of a little bit of national stuff, you know, maybe even just some AP syndication. And that more or less doesn't exist anymore, even in New York City, the most populous uh, city in, in the country. Um, do you, in your conversations with other, like, folks, think there's any, like hope for this more subscriber-based model, you know, may, maybe sort of along the lines of what Defector is doing um, mm. um, to, to create 
any kind of lefty or even kind of Democrat liberal media uh, that that uh, isn't just kind of chasing the kind of outrage, uh, uh, you know, dialectic um, in a, you know, in a way that can sort of enable some little bit more intelligent, a little bit more nuanced, you know, kind of coverage and, and maybe even locally useful to 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 folks who like, you know, in so many cities across the country, there's no local coverage at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can, I, that's, can I add on to that question and give you yeah, a more to answer? Yeah, just because the essential thing is also negative polarization works really well at the national level. It doesn't work so well at the local level because yeah. people actually know what the fuck is going on. And it's a lot harder to to kind of just uh, bullshit people about the lives they're living locally anyway. So it's, it seems to me all the more important. Uh, and that's a really more, good point. Right? Yeah. That's a really good point. And that's also why I think nationalizing everything has been so destructive to Democrats and so many to Democratic parties in so many um, <clears throat> smaller places in the country. Um, because the issue when you nationalize everything is that an election in Iowa is now about um, – <clears throat> immigration policy and and the border the southern border <laughs> an election in Iowa is now about the southern border and not about like like are the schools adequately funded right, right. so but yeah i mean that's a hard question because defector's a great model that um and the best thing about their model is that like the the the, the defector guys it's a worker owned uh sports site that um is subscriber based and I'm a subscriber. You should be too. Me too. And the best thing about their model is that, you know, it's not, they're not trying to scale. They're not trying to be a unicorn. Um, They're very explicit that what they want is for, to be able to pay all of themselves a nice middle-class salary and keep doing the website they like to do. Oh yeah. And, and like, that's a good model for the media in general. Um, but when it comes to the sort of local, the newspaper part of it, I, I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer that the left, <clears throat> the left needs to figure out mass media somehow. The left needs to figure out mass media. Subscribers are a good way to fund um, really important work. But to reach the widest audience, you need to just get into people's homes. You need to get into their ears. You need to get to their eyes. And I don't have a good answer for that. The right has already figured it out and has completely like distorted our entire national conversation through their but, but their answer was having endless resources <laughs> and being willing and, and being willing to just I mean AT&T funding OAN is an insane Fun. thing. It's an insane thing. They but they like they just the uh, a telecom company just built a right wing cable network for no fucking reason yeah. and it to make money. drove how many people yeah i mean yeah um and the left needs to figure out a mass media like asap and and you know there are examples of this that i think it'll be online it'll have i think it'll probably i think it'll be streamers <laughs> but yeah. like that's not going to that's not going to I, I, we still need a way to reach like normies, right? Like, and, and that, ha- I don't know. I don't have the answer for it. Subscriber base is great for subsidizing really important and vital work. And I think yeah. subscriber base can work for like investigative journalism. But if we're talking about persuasive left wing media, not just sort of liberal media, not objective journalism, if we're talking about persuasive left media, there needs to be a way to figure out a mass, to, to reach a mass audience. Yeah. So we need to get Glenn Greenwald to take his like 50,000 subscribers and his like $2 million salary, which I think is close to what Defector is making mm-hmm. their entire 23 person publication and somehow convince him to take that money and create a new publication. <laughs> yeah, he should. He should like, come on, Glenn, fund a, fund a left wing national mass media. <laughs> pay, pay some sal- pay specifically my salary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, my pleasure. We'll link to your the, your excellent Substack. You know, must subscribe. Subscribe to support the left wing media for God's sake. Absolutely. <laughs> Damn it. And, Please do. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode.